0: Hello, and welcome to Represent the Podcast, the show where I, Katie Beth McKinney, sit down with composers from historically marginalized and underrepresented backgrounds and discuss their works for the horn. Hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in everyone and welcome to represent the podcast i am your host katie beth mckinney and today i have with me composer extraordinaire quinn mason who is based out of north texas and writes for just about everything you can think of but the wind, wind symphony music orchestral music brass quintet we got a little bit of everything i think so um we're going to talk today and uh dive right into it so quinn thank you for being here today i'm really happy to have you
1: oh thanks for having me
0: so how did you get started in music and in composition
1: well i have to. had the great fortune of starting early uh started when i was about 10 years old it was in elementary school and well let me just first say that uh, classical music is something i found on my own um i listened to the radio a lot simply because i was curious and that led to me hearing a lot of things that sounded really cool that I wanted to explore more deeply so I, I had been doing so much listening I decided it'd be cool to try to make create some of this music and so in elementary school I signed up well I didn't sign up I was um I think I had a choice to be put in, a, in an arts class that was it was required and it was either like piano or music education or, or actual art. You know, I think I did take actual art. And and the fact that they had all that available back then, I don't think they have all that available now. This was like 2007 or so. So, you know, arts cuts, they probably got rid of that. But I ended up joining piano class. And so that's when I started learning piano at the age of 10. Um, I quickly progressed and... Um, yeah, and it kind of just started the journey from there. Um, I did a lot of improvising in my early age. And that, I, I have to say that's, that was the start of composition. I looked deeply into the, the, trying to capture or keep what I had improvised. And so that's when I started teaching myself notation around that time. So a very early start.
0: Very cool. I found that uh, I think a lot of composers tend to start out with improvising and then move into composing based on that. And I think that's a really great way. And and as a horn player, improvisation is terrifying to me. I don't know what the deal with that is. And so I'm always super impressed when people really can just do that and then come up with something that sounds like music. So um, now what drew you, I know you got several pieces for brass quintet and other brass instruments. Um, how did you get started writing for our neck of the woods over here?
1: Oh well, let me see. I started. So the the early part of my music career was spent in the youth orchestra. And I played because I started playing cello when I was 12. And I did that for about four years. And I didn't really join band until I was a sophomore in high school. As a percussionist, um, I joined during marching season. And my band director is a trumpet player, um, who I believe graduated from UNT. And uh, I I told him about my compositional aspirations and he, you know, got me started. He, you know, said, you know, look, study this, study that. And I used to go looking through my bands, because my band's uh musical library was very outdated. I mean, there was some stuff in there from like the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies, like mm-hmm. old brass method books and band charts that nobody plays anymore uh Mm -hmm. and one of those books I found was um it was a compilation of like brass ensemble pieces in full score and so I looked at that and I got very curious you know I started you know doing deep study of that stuff led me to to experiment with brass music and uh, yeah it was about 2013 that I wrote my first brass ensemble work it was a quartet for brasses um and yeah that that ended up being the piece that pretty much launched my career I would have to say because some two years after I wrote it they won a um a composition contest
0: and that's incredible so that's that's you really got your start with brass composition and then moved outward from there I guess that's so cool um so would you find that there are any difficulties when composing for brass or for horn or anything like that
1: uh, for some strange reason, I just kind of was naturally inclined to write music that was playable for the musicians. Uh, it, seem, it seems like you know I've done so much, spent so much of so my time around them, and studied so much that the music I was just writing was ah uh, was just naturally flowing. And you know, I remember the rehearsals for that brass quintet uh, quartet in, um, in Minneapolis. Uh, I remember. The brass players actually having fun with it. Uh, it was really cool. Um, I did so much study of orchestration on, on my own, uh, and so much spending time around actual musicians in my my younger years. You know, stuff stuff that you know composers really aren't exposed to until they get to college and stuff like that. I've been doing that since I was like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. That I just kind of automatically knew. Um, And it's something that still sticks with me to this day in subsequent pieces Uh, that I ended up writing after that brass quartet. A couple of years after that, I wrote my brass quintet. And then I ended up writing another one for that. Uh, And that one also won a composition contest. um, And I got to work with the Atlantic Brass Quintet during that. And that's when I discovered how fun brass players could be uh, or to hang around. (laughs) We try. (laughs) And yeah, they yeah. were cool. Um, and
0: and you've got a horn sonata as well. Yeah,
1: that came a couple of years after that piece. Um, that was written for my friend David Cooper, uh, who was in Dallas at the time, and uh, I had known David for a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, he had won the principal horn of the Berlin Philharmonic at that time, and he was leaving. So I wrote him a parting gift. He yeah. actually wanted me to write him this parting gift. Uh, and then some time after that. He became principal of the Chicago Symphony, so as you can imagine, he didn't have time to play it. But he was—he's nice about you know making connections and so you know giving it to the fourth horn of the Chicago Symphony, David Griffin, who premiered it two years ago. And recently, I met David Griffin. I got the chance to thank him for his performance. But you know that horn sonata is quite interesting. Um, I have been spending so much time around Dave that my horn writing ended up being so unique. Even in the orchestral setting, um even in the of the band setting, and that uh, that piece, um I ended up transcribing for trombone, actually, um from our friend Will Lang, who plays in low bang, and he is, is there's such thing as the Paganini of the trombone. That's the guy. Um, he can do crazy <laughs> stuff on the trombone. So it was only natural that I. Uh, that th- th- I give it to him well he wanted it
0: so. <laughs> He was like okay that sounds cool give it to me let me play that's it. <laughs> pretty much what happened so how do you uh, can you describe your composition process where do you start does something just pop into your head and you start you know playing on piano or do you have a whole system
1: yeah that varies from piece to piece well I used it used to be that I just heard a whole bunch of music in my head. I, I just wrote it down and I used to write really fast. It's not so much the case anymore because back then I wrote for myself. It was mostly self-study. But now um, I, I'm writing pieces for actual humans and to hear and to, and to play. So I got to make sure that my best product is one that I'm putting out to the public. To the public. So nowadays, my my composition process is more meticulous. Um, It does sometimes start with with an idea. Sometimes it starts with the title itself. Uh, Sometimes the title comes last. But like I said, it depends on the piece. Like a small ensemble piece won't take me that long because there's less parts to work with. but and it won't take a lot out of me too. Like I could finish the chamber music piece and go right into the next piece. Large ensemble pieces now take me a lot longer. It's a lot more staves. It's a lot more notes mm-hmm. to think about how they fit together. You know, on the in the bigger picture. Um, I had a had a talk with uh, Aaron J. Kernis the other day, and he was like, "Yeah, it, the reason why large ensemble music takes so much out of you is because there's just so many staves." Um. And he's right. I mean, it's just like, uh, it's a lot to think about. Uh, So understandably that takes me a lot longer, but what I like to do in any composition is like to create, create a map for myself, how the composition is going to progress. You know, what happens here, what uh, harmonic language it mostly wants to use um, form instrumentation, uh, kind of like, you know, uh, a guidebook for football plays but something like that and you know usually the piece wants to go another way like i'll start writing something and it decides it wants to be something else <clears throat> and you know I, I don't i don't try to fight against that i kind of go where the piece wants to go and usually it turns out better than i imagine you know sometimes not but it, it, it's interesting now it, it's i've been doing this so long i've been doing it for nearly um 17 years that wow. um it's an organic process so I, i'm learning to trust my
0: maybe intuition
1: yeah that um and and
0: kind of let it take you where it goes
1: yeah pretty much it's 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 figuring out how to let the Composition be what it wants to be, rather than trying to force it in one direction. You know, um, and sometimes it doesn't end up going anywhere. Yeah, you know, <laughs> such is life.
0: That must be frustrating when you reach a dead end and you're like, okay, where do I go now?
1: Well, I mean, I sometimes usually have so much of the piece written that I can just reuse the ideas in it. I've done that before. You know, I, do, mm-hmm. I sometimes I don't let the ideas go the way. Sometimes I'll have half a piece written and in a way to complete it but i'll I'll end up using the ideas and other pieces later so that's that's a that's a beautiful part of it
0: you get to kind of storm away like little future memory bites
1: <laughs> yeah
0: so where do you find where do you find inspiration for your music i have one composer i spoke with um said she has music that comes to her in dreams and other people pull from nature do you find that you have a source that gives you that spark
1: usually do uh d- different situations um Sometimes dreams, but sometimes also life experiences, um, things I like to think deeply about, uh, things other people have told me about, stuff like that. Uh, especially when I'm crafting a piece for someone else, um, I like to think about uh, who, uh, what, what the performer likes to uh, think about uh, or ponder mm-hmm. on. And it makes for a piece that can connect deeply too. But I find that most of my music is introspective lately. Of course, you have some extroverted pieces, um, like Toast of the Town that would send extroverted, but I wrote that because I wanted to. Um, and it's kind of a fun piece that dorks just mm-hmm. like doing. But I would have to say, you know, my best, most successful music to me is the ones where uh subjects where i've thought deeply about like my fourth symphony which is about time travel or uh my favorite piece of mine that i've written Svitani, which is called which is a Czech word for rebirth um i like how that piece turned out uh and yeah it's mostly about the stuff i like to think deeply about but really inspiration can come from all sorts of sources from you know from interactions with other people to um text in the email that i've gotten i'm and i'm kind of serious when i say that because my my recent piece inspiration actually got its name when i sent it to the conductor who's going to premiere it i didn't have a name for it i was like hmm i have i have this piece but i don't have a name for it he was like yeah he listened to it was like yeah i love your writing it's very inspired and i was like Okay, there's my title right there. Well, you just never know. So
0: That's incredible. I love that it's kind of like, again, happens organically. It feels like maybe more of your process is built on that, or you know, interaction between the music and real life, which is really cool. Um, now, I'm curious, this might be a silly question, but is there a different feeling when you have maybe like a smaller piece, like a solo or a chamber piece being played on the stage in front of you versus like a full symphony and getting to sit down and watch that be performed and premiered? Is that like, I don't know does it feel different
1: it used to feel different i mean it's a little bit more energy when there's more people on the stage but if you have chamber music performers who are equally as electric uh i would have to say the experience um would, is it's about the equivalent um really you know and it also depends on the type science type, uh, type of audience too but at the end of the day it's still my music being played for an audience so i mean there's that experience and there's 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 the experience of someone interpreting my thoughts in real time whether it be a soprano and piano or a, a a concert band or anything like that um it's it's i don't have to say the experience is about the same um but like I said, it all depends. Like uh, the bigger the ensemble, the more prestigious the venue, the more the pressure. Because people are like expecting something from you. You just have to, you know, with new music, you never know how it's going to um, be received. You just got to put it out there and just hope. Um, so far, I've been successful. That
0: right.
1: um, my most personal thoughts are actually connecting with people and musicians, and and sounding good to to people. So I've been fortunate so far, but that's because um, I work really hard on my craft. That's why.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it hard to be vulnerable with a piece that you've spent all this time and, and commitment to and then letting it go out into the world to, to possibly get feedback from people? Is yeah, especially
1: go? if it's a piece that I'm not I'm completely satisfied with, but that's why I work so hard on, that's why I work so long on them because um i want to make sure i put out a piece that i'm very satisfied with that is um a piece that will uh ultimately make some sort of impact whether it be to the musicians to the audience uh it, it's 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 definitely kind of opening yourself up and leaving yourself to to the audience um and also, to the musicians that are playing it, too, especially if they're premiering a piece of yours. Um, it's you know, getting feedback from them is paramount, I would have to say. Um, it may it may not be hard. it may not be easy at first, but down the line, you'll feel you you'll find out, oh, well, that, that advice is very helpful or it cannot be helpful. I mean, it all depends on your 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 situation um but when putting a new piece out to the audience, it's always that moment of um uh, it's like, basically, here we go. Like, let's just uh, I, let's just hope what happens. let's just hope the best happens. You know, you just don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. It's out of your control at that point. You just have to kind of let it be what it is.
1: Unless I'm the one conducting it, yes, it's out of my control.
0: Do you like being the one who conducts it?
1: You know, nowadays i I'm collaborating with so many amazing conductors um conductors like alistair neal carolyn kwan mm-hmm. uh next season michael stern oh, cool. uh who else am i working with next season um shoot, but who else have i worked with that i really like alistair willis mm-hmm. uh i'm getting to work with master conductors mm-hmm. um who spent years decades on their craft uh getting to learn from them you know and allows me to sit back and listen to how they interpret not only my work but the other works in the program uh is i would have to say uh when given the chance it's nice to listen Mm -hmm. it's nice to sit back and it's nice to um uh, learn and watch how a master does things so i can learn from my own conducting you know so i can learn how they do things how they talk to the orchestra and things like that um so i guess in that case i only conduct what i'm called or when I'm really needed to conduct, when I'm especially invited to conduct. Mm-hmm. Although I had the experience recently. Um when I was with the New Haven Symphony. I was um working with Alistair Neal. And uh, he had seen there's a video of me conducting one of my pieces that he was doing, and he saw that video, and we had a score study session at his apartment that was very uh, helpful. You know, we got some really cool work done there. And then he goes, you know I, I think i want to listen in the hall during a rehearsal would you would you conduct the orchestra for me at the rehearsal tonight and i said are you sure he said <laughs> i know it'll be in good hands because i saw i saw you conduct the the, the, the piece on the on the video and i said if you want me to conduct i'll do it he said i want you to do it and pretty much so um pretty much that night you know at the rehearsal after he had rehearsed it through he, he said I, I i needed it to be run and um yeah, he called me up and like, you know, conducting New Haven Symphony that night.
0: Wow, the
1: orchestra was cool about it too. They were really, they were all very complimentary and and very nice about it. You know, mm-hmm. so that was that was a rare case where I was absolutely needed to conduct. But if I'm not, I like to, I like to listen.
0: Have there been any times where a conductor's vision of your piece is different than how you imagined it?
1: Uh. Yeah, experience of working with so many different conductors, there's so many different interpretations of my music that I didn't think was possible. Like the way that the way that Alastair Willis does one of my pieces with the South Bend Symphony is way different than how Jerry Junkin does one of my pieces with the UT Band. Sure, because uh, it's like you know they all see the same notes, but they think differently about it. You know that's the beauty of it. Going to so many different places, hearing the different sounds. Of different orchestras hearing or seeing you know, how different conductors interact to get all these different interpretations and sometimes that informs my interpretation too even though you know like i heard it on the midi but that's not that's not how i mean
0: that's not live performance
1: yeah i mean it's it's um it's it's somewhat, somehow I'm like i'm oh, at It's a simulation of what i imagine but it's not Accurate, because it's it's still like not, it's not people playing it. It's a computer playing it. Man. And then when you hear actual people playing it, and then more people play it, than that that and that really informs future performances too. And I find that sometimes you know, like one of my pieces has been played so much, other conductors are learning it off of each other. You know, it's kind of like a a real time AI machine learning. You know um where other conductors are looking at other conductors and going okay so i'm gonna try that and then they're looking at those and the others you know it's 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 really fascinating to watch a kind of standard build around one of my pieces (laughs) even though you know uh, one of the uh, one of the conductors um i haven't worked with so it's like purely his interpretation Mm-hmm. that other people are basing it off of but i i'm not complaining about it i actually like it um it it's interesting it's very it's, it's fascinating when when one of your pieces get played gets played so much that a performance standard builds around it like it's a repertory piece or a warhorse piece
0: mm-hmm. it, it's becoming canonized i guess
1: something like that
0: now you mentioned ai this is not something i meant to ask but now i'm curious Um, The big internet discourse lately has been how AI is going to affect musicians and composers and all that. Do you have any thoughts on the changing technologies available to us? Uh,
1: I can't remember who I was talking to about this the other day, Um, but I was talking about it the other day with a fellow musician. Yeah, this was, uh, I think it was earlier this week, talking to a fellow composer about it. And I was telling him, look, I don't think that composers and musicians have anything to worry about. I mean, of course, there are going to be some people who, gonna want to take the easy route and not want to pay for music so they'll try to ai generate it and it's like look ai couldn't even finish the schubert unfinished symphony and they tried to finish the beethoven 10th symphony and it sounded nothing like it like mm. well, well it makes them think that we're gonna have they're gonna replace human musicians plus of course like there, there's um I, I feel like other musicians aren't gonna uh use it because um there's going to be the human element missing the whole um, get it, working with a composer to bring a piece to life that's going to be missing if you're working with it if you're computer generating music so as of right now, I don't think because there's, there's there's not going to be a shortage of or of of jobs available to composers due to AI. Mm -hmm. Um, i don't really see that happening um i mean this is nothing new this has been a controversy for decades like a couple of decades ago in the 2000s um and i read this on a forum like 10 15 years ago but in the 2000s around the time software instruments started coming out there was uh there was controversy because like there are some um, ballet companies, instead of hiring musicians, they would use these software instruments, which, of course, now we listen to them, they sound dated and they sound nothing like a real orchestra. But, you know, the cut costs, they would blend real instruments with those very obviously fake sounding like instruments. And, yeah, there was uproar from that. Nobody really does that anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, But, uh, especially if you listen to like a commercial or sometimes a movie trailer, usually it's electronic instruments. Usually it's electronic instruments. Um, Some film scores hardly use live orchestra anymore, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree. um, But as of right now, yeah, no, I don't see AI or machine learning. Uh, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't don't really see it taking the place of actual musicians. I just don't. Mm -hmm.
0: I think so many of us value that human element in our music that's why we do it is is to make connections with the audience to make connections with ourselves and with our people we're playing with on stage if we're in an ensemble and the idea of taking that out and just substituting an electronic thing I think so many of us will be very resistant to that because it's not why we're here it's this might just be me but I feel like as a musician the whole point of my life is to create and to be artistic so why are we coming up with technology that like takes away the point of my being here and that might be me being dramatic but. You know it's I, I feel like maybe AI would be better aimed at something that people don't want to do, there are people who want to be musicians I don't know anyone who wants to be. An accountant, I mean that's a terrible choice you know there are probably people who want to be accountants but you know, it's, it's. Maybe you get my point there we're all trying to work to have time to do the thing that makes creative the money is not the point it's the, the art itself and so yeah making something yeah. that takes away the joy of what we're doing doesn't make sense <laughs> so it's just me
1: basically yeah no i don't see musicians in droves utilizing it i mean it's just like i said it's just it's too primitive right now mm-hmm. and like it doesn't the results are so obvious like it's like it's it's pretty much yeah no it's it's not it, it, i don't i don't for for actual musicians i don't see it as an option so
0: mm-hmm. i like that um, to circle it back to your music, do you feel like you have any kind of description of how you would characterize your compositional language? Anything that, that makes it uniquely yours?
1: Still kind of discovering that. <laughs> um, but I found things that I really like doing. Um, for one, I do have the firm belief that uh, music and music making is a shared human experience. And I learned that from one of my teachers, David Maslanka, um, who I worked with a couple of years or a couple of months before his death, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing he taught me taught me um, that I never forgot was that music is meant to be shared soul to soul. And really, that whole time I spent with him changed my entire outlook on music making. So nowadays, I like to write music that connects with people's souls. And I found that I've been fairly successful with that. Um, you know, I say fairly because you can't impress everybody. Oh well. <laughs> um, but uh, I do believe that there's something for everybody in my music. Even if you're coming to the concert hall for the first time, you're not familiar with me, my compositional voice. You'll be able to hopefully listen and and find some way to connect with it um, in 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 a, in a way that's interpersonal or, or uh, spiritual or something like that. Because uh, I, I, whenever I write music, it, it comes from deep inside of me. And it's something that I feel very deeply about. And I, I, I love to make these connections with people, with with musicians that play it, with audiences that l- listen to it. And um, it, it's simply, that's what it is. It's music for the soul. And the more I write, more i'm able to find more ways to touch the soul um and of course the, the technical side of um of uh composition uh whenever i orchestrate um i really like to uh, place instru- uh, emphasis on what the different sections are capable of how they interact with each other because you know i do believe the orchestra is one big family um sometimes dysfunctional sometimes <laughs> happy um and and whenever I you know craft something, I make sure that the different sections have something interesting to do. Um, that's that's the uh, the Stravinsky rule of orchestration. Uh, if you look at every one of his scores, like if you look at the Rite of Spring, every single instrument in the orchestra has a solo at some point, whether it be the piccolo, the contrabassoon, the tubin, or the even one double bass. Mm-hmm. I mean, they all have a solo. So finding something interesting for all sections to do, um, so that the musicians feel like their their their, their effort isn't wasted. Uh, so you don't just have the horns of, you know, playing. Beats. <laughs> no, no, no. Giving them interesting melodic lines and really cool chords and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's just basically, you know, making sure, you know, when the musicians see your work on the thing they'll go, oh, this guy again. They're actually happy to play your music, you know, and they play your music multiple times. They have you back and stuff like that. You know, I've had the pleasure of working with the Memphis Symphony like twice. That's great. And I've worked with the Dallas Symphony, um, my, which is my hometown orchestra. Uh, this, I'm working with them this week. So four times I will work with them. Um but that that speaks in you know to you know they my music wasn't good they wouldn't play it mm-hmm. just being uh, completely honest like if my music was not good nobody would play it absolutely right so there, there's a reason why you know like they have played me so much so i, I think i'm doing something right <laughs> hope i am
0: mm-hmm. i would say at this point in your career you're you're well-known and, and the, you're getting all these amazing commissions. Are you finding that people are coming to you to commission your pieces now and you're past the point where you have to approach people, say, hey, do you want to play this thing that I'm doing?
1: Oh, no doubt. I mean, I've definitely worked hard to create a name for myself and distinguish myself as a composer of notes in an industry that is oversaturated with composers. Mm-hmm. But I've had the great um, experience of um Getting to know amazing composers in my field. Like I said, I had a lesson with Aaron J. Curtis the other day, um, amazing human being, amazing soul, uh, great person. Um, another colleague of mine um, who I got to know, um, uh, John Ziner, who is another Dallas composer. Uh, I really like it and admire him as a person. And so, you know, like, amazing. Um, amazing colleagues in the field. Well, I still got to distinguish myself somehow. And now um, I think I've worked um, hard enough, you know, not only traveling the circuit, but also making the necessary connections to make people go, oh, well, this guy is actually serious business. You know, he's not just playing around here. Um, and the writing music that people actually find interesting enough to Want to play not only once but multiple times you know that's a skill in itself like that's not easy to do and i worked hard at making sure that was something that um was feasible for me and so now um i'm at the great pleasure of um receiving very generous commission offers um some of them i've had to say no to because i just received so many mm-hmm. but some of them i said yes to um uh it's not public yet but i'll say it anyways. like a commission from the big 12 uh i don't know if y'all know what that is um the big 12 band directors association yeah. wow uh which is like all the the great collegiate bands baylor ut ou mm-hmm. uh cincinnati mm-hmm. and they they say write whatever you want
0: wow that's incredible
1: uh yeah, for those who are listening, I just rub my hands together like Birdman. <laughs> um, uh, but, but I mean, there's some cases where I go up to a conductor I really like, and I'm like, man, I want to write something for you. Like Andy, Dr. Andy Traxel, uh, who conducts the UNT Wind Orchestra, uh, he premiered my Symphony Number no. Four back in um in October of this this season. And I, I was impressed with his conducting style. I was impressed with his band, his rapport with the band, his, um, his worth, his band's worth ethic. That I was like, man, I want to write something for y'all. And we had a lunch meeting earlier this week and we're going to make it happen next oh, season. Oh, great. You know, one of the, one of the best bands.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have friends who've gone to school there. And then, like I told you off camera, I was in that neck of the woods for years. And the music that comes out of that school is is really really incredible and i'm always so blown away whenever i get to hear any of the recordings these days it's it's awesome um do you have any advice for young composers who are trying to get where you are um get up to that level we're getting to work with such high high level musicians
1: yeah i guess my first one is that everybody has their own definition of success um when i set out to uh do Uh, when I set up to embark on a a career as a musician for um, hopefully the rest of my life, you know, I didn't have a plan in mind. Even though I had like a vision, I didn't know how I was going to get to that vision. I kind of navigated these backwoods and took these detours and things like that. Um, So where I ended up today, I kind of never imagined myself being, like I didn't plan on this. It just happened so always be open to things because you know you don't know where they'll lead you or you know but always make sure to feel the um the 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 paths to make something you enjoy doing don't if it's something you know you won't enjoy doing don't do it like of course i'm still learning that i've learned that the hard way in the past and i'm still learning it um and you know just have a clear vision in mind have a clear dream in mind have persistence like i said this industry is very it's it's a weird industry with so many people very few opportunities um and the opportunity so the opportunities you do get make the best of them makes the absolute best of them Um, do your best work and and one of my rules when it comes to making connections is you know if you have the attitude for a um or attitude if you have the avenue for connection you should just take that route so if you know someone who knows someone find a way to get to know that other someone like you know a great example of that for me is when i was at cbdna and i met someone who knew eric wilson from baylor and i was like could you introduce me and he said yes so i got to meet and connect with eric wilson from baylor who was a nice guy very nice guy um and another example is when I worked with Kim and KMFA um, as their composer in residence. They were in Austin, had a lot of ties to UT Austin, understandably. And they gave me a choice of commission: who do you want to write for? And of course, who did I choose? I chose Jerry Junkin and his UT band, and that's how I pretty much got involved with Jerry. And now Jerry is a great champion of my music. Um, I saw those avenues for connections, and I took them. I and mean, ain't nothing wrong with that you know mm-hmm. i mean there's a lot of people in the industry small but there's a lot of people to meet and you never know who knows someone so there's that and as far as a uh, musical voice um it, it it's best to be your authentic self uh find what makes you sound like you and just be that because um nobody else can be you but you so um there, there is um. There, there is, uh, min- there are many chances to. Uh, write in different styles, but really, uh, musicians can tell when you're BSing them. So, uh, it's nice to, uh, not waste anybody's time and and try to write true to yourself and try to distinguish yourself that way because it's it's it, it's. It, once you discover your own means of self-expression, uh, you'll find that that'll take you really, really far, and you can really communicate people, can communicate with people a lot deeper deeply if you have that. Um, and um, yeah, just you know, be nice to everybody, and you know, have fun. Make make sure you love what you're doing. If you don't like being a musician, then find something else to do. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds pretty frank but you know meeting jaded people in the industry is like why do you do this i'm like yeah. I, I get it's no i get it's, not, it's just another job for them but like come on
0: no, like, i'm right there with you i always tell all my students and some of my younger colleagues i'm like if you can imagine yourself doing anything else and being happy then go do that other thing because this is a tough industry and unless you really love it you're gonna end up being miserable so it has to be worth it
1: <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely mm-hmm.
0: Um, do you feel like you've faced any really big challenges or hardships in your career?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, I'm still facing challenges and hardships. Um, one of them has to be how young I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm literally 27 years old um, doing work at a high level,
0: mm-hmm.
1: at least, you know, people call it a high level. Um, there's the challenge of being taken seriously, but, you know, like, <clears throat> I don't go everywhere flaunting my age. Other people do that for me, and it's kind of annoying. You know, I don't like to go anywhere and be young, known as that young composer. You know, I've I worked so hard for these every bit of these 17 years that I think I deserve to be just, you know, have my work speak for itself. And some places do, mm-hmm. you know, they don't, they don't, they, they don't, you know, flaunt my age around, you know. Uh, and I, I i think I've um, developed my music making. And first of all i'm serious business when it comes to music making when i'm conducting when i'm working with an orchestra i mean we get we get right down the work mm-hmm. we we do that um and recently um i made my uh conducting debut with a nad, uh, major orchestra the national symphony orchestra mm. i conducted them in the kennedy center wow um i think i was their youngest guest conductor this season and but it wasn't about that i just stepped on the podium and i said let's play the william grant still please and to my my great surprise the National Symphony played for me like they would play for any other conductor. It wasn't about how old I was. It was like, let's do this. Um, And, yeah. I mean, but I would have to say, you know, I've distinguished myself enough in my, you know, in my accolades and and how I carry myself whenever I visit a place, how I carry myself professionally to where people very much take me serious there's that
0: mm-hmm. they sit up and take notice
1: mm-hmm. there's also the um, issue of um well I, I would have to say this I have to say this I used to be uh tokenized in programming used to be because I think pre-pandemic the only orchestral pieces of mine appeared on like Martin Luther King programs I remember that very clearly Thank goodness it was with a conductor I actually like working with who later programmed me in a subscription series, but nowadays I'm starting to see myself on more serious programs, and they, they, because they're realizing that okay this guy has a really cool you know voice you know um, and we'll put them on like you know like they don't program me only in February I'm starting to see myself program quite year round and things like that um which is good I'm, I'm glad that my music is being taken some sort of seriously because mm-hmm. um, it's like you know like it's it's kind of disrespectful to be honest <laughs> but it, 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 i understand that you know like they're, they're trying to make a statement and it's fine why do you have to do it only in february mm-hmm. um but like i said i'm starting to see less of that now and and i'm starting to work with conductors who are uh taking me taking me serious and taking my music serious along with other pieces of music that are established. Mm-hmm. So um again, it's something I really have to work for to distinguish myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and prove that I'm worthy of, you know, like opening a seasoned concert or fitting on a program with the Ludislavski Concerto for Orchestra, like in the Kansas City mm-hmm. Symphony. So um yeah but it's still a still challenge
0: I'm glad to hear there is improvement in that realm I know it's it's the word is disrespectful to, to only be used to check off a box rather than the value of what you're doing as an artist and as a creator
1: yeah and you can tell too like you can well yeah you can tell when somebody's usually to check a box you know even recently where some orchestras have programmed me, but like I'm not even in the um promotional material, I'm more of an afterthought. Um I can name two, three orchestras that have done that. Um, and it's like, you know, why program me I'll just find something else to program. I'm not gonna lose any I'm not gonna lose any sleep if you, you know, take me off the program. And a lot of the composers, you know, they would kill for that opportunity. So why don't you give the opportunity to them instead? I don't know. That's just how I feel.
0: Do you kind of keep a? No, that makes sense to me. Do you keep kind of like a running list of of orchestras now that you're like, okay, if they come back to me, I'm I'm done with them. I don't need them anymore.
1: So far, I haven't had any terrible experiences with any. That's good. Nor have I had any bad experience. And the first one that actually, um, you know, then put me in the advertising was full of um. The, the organization was nice, and the audience was was actually they liked my piece, but then they liked the main piece, which was the Brahms Second Symphony, <laughs> like. So I won in that regard. But like, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I said, I, whenever I visit an or- organization, uh, I, I haven't had like super terrible experiences with them. I mean, because mostly they know who they're dealing with. Um, and, and and I try to be like my my most cordial whenever I visit an organization. I'm like, you know, thank you for having me. And I do all sorts of outreach in the community as a favor to them. You know, I do all sorts of stuff for the organization that they can't, they can't treat me like, like that. <laughs> they, they can't. And if they do, like, well, well they're going to hear about it. If they're not going to hear about it from my manager, they'll hear about it from me. Because, you know, I have, no to- I have no problem making my thoughts known on that issue. Um, but yeah, like I said, most of the organizations I've, I've worked with have been nothing sort of cordial and, and friendly and welcoming
0: that's good that's what we're hoping for
1: there were a few there were a few small issues but they were so minuscule that i don't i don't um i don't really drill on them that much
0: it's not worth writing off the entire relationship it's just you know learning and growing pains i guess
1: yeah no and like i said none of them have been terrible so
0: that's good um if you could change anything about the music industry what would you change
1: definitely find a way to get more opportunities for people you know in an industry that just has too many people in it just finding a way to get more opportunities to where there's um everyone has some sort of musical outlet you know mm-hmm. like a lot of people that graduate from conservatory but don't have a, a guarantee for a job so just kind of freelancing for a while and, and you know there's nothing wrong with that but you know and and, and i can guess can you know I just... gathering up at yeah, there's a sort of gathering up experiences for when you do take that audition. Um, but, you know, in terms of like composers where, you know, you graduate with a composition degree. I don't have a composition degree, by the way.
0: Oh, cool. I don't have
1: any degree. Um, I had a weird college career. <laughs> but you graduate with a comp- composition degree and then it's just, you know, it's like, what do you do after that? I mean, I'm spe- speaking to the experience of um, colleagues I've spoken with who graduated college and then it's like you know what next Mm -hmm. Uh, so i've definitely considered myself lucky in that regard because this composition is a hard thing to make a a living in and that's what i do full-time i don't know how i did it um and conducting is even worse because it's like you know (laughs) you know you have there's so few jobs i mean there's community orchestras where you can form your own ensemble Mm
0: -hmm. but you
1: know assistantships are hard to come by and you know, and, you know, it's, it, it's, like I said, just more, more opportunities for more people. Mm-hmm. Somehow, somehow. That's the dream. <laughs> One day.
0: Now you, you're, you know, working with these major orchestras and major ensembles, um, and you're moving up and everything. What's your goal? What's your, your big dream ensemble to work with?
1: Well, let's see, I've had so many different amazing experiences with the ensembles i've already worked with that i wanted to work with them again like the unt Wind orchestra that was um as someone who grew up not liking the band um having worked with a top level band like that of course jerry junkin and his ut um wind ensemble or ut uh, yeah ut wind ensemble which is like the rolls royce of wind bands um getting to work with amazing bands like that and of course Um, I'm I'm working with Jerry again with Dallas Winds in a few months. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just working with amazing ensembles like that. In terms of the symphony orchestras, um, I've worked with some amazing orchestras that have some great people in there, like the Minnesota orchestras for the great people. I've worked with them. San Francisco Symphony. uh, Who else have I worked with? Um, uh, Who... New Haven Symphony, a lot of the regional orchestras, too, but a lot of the major orchestras national uh next month, I'm working with Cincinnati symphony oh, cool um and I've worked with new world Symphony too um uh, Chad goodman mm-hmm. um uh, great great people, and Chad Goodman is a good man. <laughs> I've probably heard that before yeah, um, uh, I'm getting to collaborate with some amazing people right now, so it's just a matter of seeing who who where i go next is who i who who i get to work with next like i'm working with michael stern in the kansas city Symphony next season i can't wait for that oh yeah because kansas city is a great orchestra well i mean controversy right now aside (laughs) yeah this will be dated in a few months when that gets sorted out hopefully it gets sorted out
0: fingers crossed because that's a whole mess (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's not it's not a good look nope people are going to well, be listening this year from so now going what
0: yeah i don't even remember what they're talking about <laughs> well we'll hope by then it'll be resolved as it should be and people won't have to think about it anymore we'll see mm-hmm. but um now i'll ask the the fun little wrap up questions i always do um what hobbies and activities do you do for fun outside of music because that's not a hobby
1: <laughs> yeah i like to read a lot mm-hmm. um mostly music-related stuff, sometimes biographies. um, I used to like writing a lot. I need to get right back into that. Mm -hmm. Like literature, like poetry, novels and stuff. I haven't done that in a while. I think I should get back into it.
0: Do you think that's related to composing?
1: It used to be. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it is. It is. It is. It is because I have some friends that are writers that I get inspired by their work, and I, I love to set their work, so... It's That's cool yeah it, it goes hand in hand, um yeah, a lot of that 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 creative stuff,
0: mm-hmm. and then, um, who is your favorite composer besides yourself?
1: um, I'm not my favorite own favorite composer no, no um,
0: composer I've talked to has said that they're their own favorite composer. <laughs> I always like to ask anyways,
1: <laughs> well, I really like John Adams' music um he was um. It was a great influence on I me mean, when I was younger. I listened to Harmony Labor and Harmonium when I was younger, and that stuff kind of blew my mind. um yeah. So I, you know, bought the scores, studied up. Some years after that, met John Adams, nice guy. How cool. Uh, so met Esapekka, mm-hmm. um, really nice guy too. Who talked about we think about composition very similar. Mm-hmm. So Esapekka and I are very similar in that regard. we um,
0: have got a crazy horn piece. That one's hard. <laughs>
1: You know he was a horn player, so mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, he, all of it. Even in this orchestral music, his horn parts are crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, S. Sepeka, John Adams, um, and one who's not alive, uh, Stravinsky, of course, mm-hmm. who had the great talent of writing in many different styles, but still sounding like himself. Mm-hmm. That's um, very rare. That that I don't know how he can do that. Like you can instantly identify Stravinsky from like the first few bars. Mm -hmm. that's a talent i wish i had
0: i feel that tchaikovsky was the other one who could do that you can always tell it's tchaikovsky
1: (laughs) yeah yeah no doubt
0: well that has pretty much brought us to the end but it sounds like you have a whole bunch of upcoming projects uh in the next you know few months and year do you want to talk about any of those
1: yeah um most of my next season will be visiting various orchestras um so kansas city symphony i kept mentioning that that's the one i'm very excited about mm-hmm. of course i'm returning to the memphis symphony for a third time in october um fargo moorhead symphony where i did a uh, conducting workshop about a year ago um and now i'm returning as a guest composer to open their season uh knoxville symphony um uh and also um like i said the dallas winds is doing a piece of mine in january it's not on their they haven't announced their season yet but i know it's in january uh because i know the organist who's going to play on it and he showed me the schedule um uh-huh, cool. so a lot of that <laughs> uh, a few residencies um like with the uh the central kentucky youth orchestra we're working that out right now um hopefully the iowa all-state orchestra in 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 um november if not i may be guest conducting that week um big project for the smithsonian institute uh, smithsonian museum i would have to say coming up and then um i'm not going to go to sleep this summer um this summer i'm actually attending the eastern (laughs) music festival where i'm going to be studying conducting with gerard schwartz That's uh,
0: oh he's one of my favorite people oh really (laughs) Yep, I uh, I play with the Palm Beach Symphony on the regular and, and he's so That's
1: how you know Kyle. One okay. of
0: the best. So that's Well, Kyle and I went to University of Miami together and so that's that's where we met. And um so shout out to Kyle. Hi, Kyle. <laughs> I love that. And uh, and you'll be meeting one of my other dear friends that uh, probably she's in the horn section there, Amber. So you'll have to give give her a hello as well. <laughs> That'll be fun. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I'm looking forward to studying with Jerry. Mm
0: hmm. That'll be great. To- yeah, you aren't going to sleep this summer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, now we have three maestros to study. We got Jose Luis Novo, who conducts the Annapolis Symphony. Mm-hmm. We also got Grant Cooper, who used to conduct the West Virginia Symphony. Um, and I've conducted them, so now he, he knows who I am. Um, That's great. But yeah, and like Eastern Music Festival. And then got a trombone concerto, Speaking of Brass. Mm. Trombone Concerto uh, premiering in February of 2024. Oh, how cool. Uh, Mark Davidson, uh, Utah Symphony. Mm-hmm. Uh, Conor Gray Covington conducting and uh yeah and a few small ensemble stuff too like i um, working on my string quartet number seven right now nice and, and um a few other chamber music pieces that will be done throughout that and then of course some smaller band stuff and the the big 12 thing isn't happening until
0: 24 so oh good so it gives you a little um, bit of breathing room for that one project at least
1: <laughs> yeah 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 and I'm, I'm still working on the piece for Indy Traxel so too mm-hmm so and then the the big one is or uh, well, another big one is a piano concerto that's gonna was per, um, commissioned by the New World Symphony, wow, uh, Roco, um, and the New Haven Symphony and the Rhode Island Philharmonic. So we're going to be doing a tour of that beginning of next season. How great! So I'm I'm doing a small amount. I ain't doing that much.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're busy enough. I think you should take on like four or five more projects. You know. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I think so too.
0: <laughs> so listeners if you want to find quinn's music you can go to his website which is masonianmusic.com i hope i pronounced that correctly great and then are you on the social media where people can come follow you
1: yeah uh, my instagram handle is quinn mason composer all one word and then my facebook is just quinn mason um, and i mostly post career stuff on there no thirst traps sorry
0: (laughs) sorry not today friends (laughs) that's great well uh, quinn thank you so much for joining me it was really nice to get to talk to you um i look forward to seeing all of your music coming out in the next year it sounds like it's going to be a really beautifully creative year for you so that's so cool um and listeners thanks for joining us today and uh tune in in a couple weeks for our next episode and uh, we'll be back with you next time thanks so much This has been Represent the Podcast. For more episodes, you can find us at Spotify and Apple Podcasts or on my website, www.katybethmckinney.com. If you liked what you heard today, please rate us five stars or leave a review. Thank you for listening.